During the season of Easter, we are looking at what it means to have a place to call home. Recognizing that one of the themes that appears in the stories over and over again is this idea that we are to love one another as brothers and sisters. Recognizing that we are all a part of the family of God. Our text this morning is from the book of Acts, sometimes referred to as the Acts of the Apostles. It's the sequel, you might say, to Luke's Gospel. Luke's gospel tells about the ministry, about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And then he picks up in part two, the Acts of the Apostle, as as those disciples turned apostles try to live out the lessons that they learned following Jesus as they create these Christian communities that we now know as churches. The book of Acts features, uh, for my money, some of the Bible's best stories. As one commentary puts it, Luke has a flair for the dramatic. The story before us this morning is one of those dramatic stories. Despite that, it's one that we don't often read much in church, in part because if we did, it would force us to explain all sorts of things that might make us a little uncomfortable. You see, this story involves an Ethiopian eunuch, and eunuchs are not oftentimes common conversation for a sermon or over dinner. It raises all sorts of questions. In fact, this last week, I told my 13-year-old daughter that I was preaching on this story, and I asked her if she knew what a eunuch was. She explained that she didn't. And then when I explained to her what it was, She expressed to me in that moment that now that she did know, she wished that she didn't. In addition to the eunuch, this story involves Philip, and Philip shows up a few times in the Acts, but he isn't exactly a leading man. What we do know about Philip is that he was one of the seven of the twelve apostles appointed to serve as a deacon. And deacons had a very specific role, an important but rather narrow job in those days. His job was to make sure that everyone was fed, that everyone was cared for, that they had enough to eat. There had been stories that that some of the widows had been neglected. That was their job, their one job. They had just one thing to do. But yet Philip feels drawn by God to go beyond this narrow job description that the church had given him. And as you'll hear, he's led by the Spirit, by the angel of the Lord, to leave the comfort of his own home, to travel on this dangerous road, and there he encounters this unique man. So I want you to listen, to take a listen, and we'll see then if we can't make sense of what's going on here. The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Acts. Chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Here begins the reading. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up and go down toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He asked, do you understand what you are reading? 
He replied, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was like this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, About whom, may I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What is to prevent me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop. And both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Philip was a deacon. He had one job. He had one responsibility. And in the same way, we as a church, we have one job to do. And that is essentially to, to open the doors as wide as God's heart and proclaim that there's room in the family of God for everyone. That is our one job. In some days, it is the only thing that I am sure of. But for some reason, for some folks, there seems to be a desire to keep those doors closed. Don't get me wrong, I get it. it Certainly safer that way. It's easier when everyone looks the same, when everyone thinks the same, when everyone believes the same. There's, there's a whole lot less disagreements, less conflicts, less hard conversations. Another reason that we might be tempted, that we might be inclined to do this is fear. Because a lot of times, whether we acknowledge it or not, we're oftentimes afraid of people who are different than us who look different, who think different, who act different, who love different. And that fear, though, can destroy a church. And it's not just churches, though, is it? It's countries, too. In fact, some might say that the reason that we are so deeply divided, that we are polarized as a nation, is the reason that we are unable to have civil conversations anymore is because of that fear, that fear of the other. And if we get right down to it, if we're honest, isn't that the heart of the immigration conversation that is now happening? In the story we just heard, Philip is led by the Spirit to go, in essence, to the middle of nowhere. Remember that roads in those times would have been lonely, dangerous places. But without any question, without any hesitation, Philip heads out and miraculously encounters this distinguished chariot containing this extraordinary person. And the way he's described, we learn that he's Ethiopian, that he's wealthy, that he's educated, that he's a, a powerful man from the court of Queen Candace. But he's also a eunuch. And that makes him suspect. In fact, so suspect that Luke mentions the fact that he's a eunuch five times. Now, according to the story, he was returning from Jerusalem 
And what we can be assured of is that there in Jerusalem, he would have been an outsider. Luke says that he had gone to worship God, but we know that he wouldn't have been allowed in the temple, in part because he had two strikes against him. One, he was a Gentile. He was a foreigner. And simply by virtue of his birth, by his nationality, he wouldn't have been allowed in. Some scholars even go so far as to say and to suggest that maybe it had something to do with the color of his skin. You see, Ethiopian in Greek is a compound word that literally means burnt face. And in that Greco-Roman world, this would have been someone who lived on the fringes of the inhabited world. He represents those who, who are geographically and ethnically far away. And the second strike is that as a eunuch, he was a castrated male. And according to Deuteronomy 23, the law at that time, he would not be accepted into a Jewish community. And so all of this makes him a persona non grata in Israel. Because of his strong sexuality, his strange sexuality, he was, he was unclean. He was untouchable. Now we can assume because he went to Jerusalem, because he's been reading scripture, that what he wanted was to convert to Judaism, but that he was denied, that he was blocked from baptism. Like I said, he was an outsider. Now, I'm sure that just about everyone here listening today can tell me about a time in their life when they felt like an outsider. And if you were to tell me that story, you would speak with a, a tenderness in your voice, pain that is just below the surface, about what it's like to be told or maybe even shown, made to feel that you weren't good enough, that you didn't fit in, that you weren't welcome. Maybe not to the extent of an Ethiopian eunuch, but even the least empathetic folks among us have an idea of what it's like to feel other, to be an outsider. Philip, we're told, is sent by the Spirit from Jerusalem to Gaza, and that's the wilderness, that wild, dangerous road. He was in the middle of the desert. As the poet T.S. Eliot once wrote, the desert is not remote in the southern tropics. The desert is in the heart. But if there's any place where people are made to feel welcome, where they're made to feel included and valued at home, it should be the church. But sadly, far, far too many people don't feel that welcome. And all too many can talk about that place, that desert in the heart, about being felt, made to feel like they were an outsider. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? This man has two sons, and, and the youngest asks for his share of the inheritance before the father is dead, which was a taboo at that time, but the father grants it. And he goes off, and the oldest son, though, he's furious because he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's faithful and loyal to his father. He's got the firstborn syndrome. But the younger son, he squanders all of his money. It comes to the realization that even the pigs in his father's farm are living better than he is. And so he comes home with his tail between his legs. And the father, though, welcomes him, welcomes him with open arms, and he rejoices that he's come home. 
The older son is furious. But the father says to that son, essentially, we're not playing good boys and bad boys anymore. Your brother was dead. And now he is alive again. The name of the game from this day forward is resurrection and not scorekeeping. Ernie Campbell, who was the former senior minister at Riverside Church in New York City, once said that the biggest problem with American Christianity is that we have a loving father gospel, but an elder brother church. And unfortunately, all too often, I think he's right. Now, I reminded you of that story so that I can tell you this story. There's an old Spanish legend about a a man named Jorge. And Jorge had a nasty fight with his youngest son, Paco. Voices were raised, tempers were lost, things were said that would later be regretted. And the next day, Jorge discovers that Paco's bed is empty. He's run away. Overcome with grief and with remorse, Jorge searches his soul and comes to realize that his son was more important to him than anything else. And what he wanted more than anything else was to start over, to be able to tell his son how much he loved him. And so Jorge went to town square and in the middle of town posted a sign, a large sign that simply read, Paco, come home. I love you. Please meet me here tomorrow morning. Well, the next morning, Jorge went to the town square. And there he found seven young men, all with the name of Paco, who had also run away from home. And each one was there hoping, longing, hoping that, that, that they were answering the call for love, that each one was desperately hoping that it was his father that was inviting him home, welcoming him home with open and loving arms. So I'm wondering how many Pacos are here this morning. How many of you are waiting for that letter, that word from your father, your mother, your wife, your children, from your church calling you to come home? I think of all the people that have wandered away from the church over the years because they were told in some way, shape, or form that they weren't worthy of God's love. But yet they long for the invitation to come back, desperate, desperate for the invitation to come home. You see, we're all longing for home. But a home that has nothing to do with wood or stone or even an address, but simply a place that we know in our heart of our hearts that we truly belong. Where we are centered, where we are whole, where we, are, where we know that we are truly loved, not for what we do, but simply for who we are. That place where we are safe, where we are truly at home. My mom is a retired elementary school librarian. And she is an amazing storyteller. And so, as you can imagine, children's literature holds a special place in my heart. And I was reminded recently of a book by Sorch Nick Leodes, simply called Always Room for One More. The story is based on a Scottish folk song, and it won the Caldecott Award for Excellence in Children's Literature back in 1966. This fascinating book tells the tale of Lockie McLaughlin, 
a generous Scottish man. And while, while Lockie lives in a small hut with his wife and his ten children, he always welcomes any weary traveler who walks by on a stormy night. And he welcomes them in out of the rain, and he tells them, there's room galore. Ach, come away in. There's room for one more. There's always room for one more. The story goes on to say that soon that place was filled to the rafters with people from all walks of life, and they are singing and they are dancing and they are spilling out into the streets. But there was always room for one more. As the church of Jesus Christ We have one job to do, and that is to open our doors as wide as God's heart and proclaim that there is room in the family of God for all of us, to welcome those in who have been battered, to provide shelter from the storms of life. And like I said, that's hard work, and we're going to have to work hard to welcome anyone and everyone as they are. But that goes beyond simply making sure that people are welcome, that people are accepted. We have to be clear. We have to say with our words, but more importantly with our actions, you are not just welcome, you're wanted. You're not just accepted, you're loved. For some people, especially those who have been made to feel like they are an outsider, made to feel like they have to conceal a part of themselves, their past, maybe their present, When they find a place like this, a place where they are welcomed, where they are accepted, where they are wanted, where they are loved, it's like finding water in the desert. In the family of God, there's always room for one more. You are a child of God. So welcome home.